Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Mark chapter 1, verse 17. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, please bless me to preach your word truly, to present it useful and tasty to your people. And please give us mouths to receive your goodness, ears to receive your truth, hearts to follow what you command. In Jesus' name I pray. Usually when I hear this verse that I just read, I don't hear this verse, but what I hear is something like, real Christians should be doing street evangelism, so what's wrong with you? But I want to suggest that that is not the right way to read this verse. And it was actually uh, attention to the original language that burned away this bad sense for me this very week. What was, it's plain in the English, but it was, we kind of miss it with the way we kind of hear these things in the world of the church today. It was really clear in the Greek. Let me offer just a slightly sharpened translation with the exact same sense. Follow me and in the future, I will fashion you into fishers of men. Who's the operative subject of the sentence? Christ. Christ is. Christ is the one who will make us into fishers of men. It's the same word used for like making stuff or building stuff or fashioning out of clay. He's the one who's going to make us into fishers of men. And so what we see then is that the fishing part is subsequent to the following part. The following Christ causes our being made into fishers of men. Jesus is the one who makes fishers. We don't make fishers out of ourselves. So the most important part of Jesus' imperative in Mark 1.17 is follow. Follow. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It's a metaphor, right? Kind of. It's sort of more than a metaphor. But it's a word that needs a little bit of unpacking. We have the foundation laid just two verses before. Jesus was really clear about it. Repent and believe the gospel. Stop following things that are not Jesus when you're looking for comfort, guidance, wisdom. Stop following those things. Repent of them. Repent of your sins and follow him. Follow him as your savior, as your Lord, as your friend. I called you my friends. Follow him and believe. Repent and believe the gospel. But Jesus really has atoned for all, every single one of my sins, for every single one of your sins. Believe that. Believe that he desires to give you eternal life. I was sort of, I'm frying Lucy's mind this morning when describing that God wants us to participate in the very life of God. It's a profound gospel, a profound promise. Repent and believe. That's the foundation which we never get beyond. We don't just sort of, well, I did that once when I was a child. And, no, we're always exercising repentance and faith. And on top of that foundation, I want to offer one specific uh, addition by way of an anecdote. Um, was it one week ago? Yeah, one week ago. <laughs> Karen and I were in Pine Mountain, Georgia, and there was one of those shops that sells kind of bric-a-brac, often with kind of Christian themes. Can you picture that? Kind of like an off-brand Hobby Lobby. Um, 
And, then, and usually, I, you know, it's the same verses always kind of on the things on the wall. So I don't even notice them, most of them. But this one, I was stopped in my tracks by one on the wall. And I was too cheap to buy it, so I'm going to probably make a replica <laughs> myself. Um, but it just said, do whatever he tells you. I was just like knocked over in the store a little bit in my inner person. You know, those are the words which Mary says to the servants about Jesus at the wedding of Cana. But applying them to all of us, just do whatever he tells you. Oh yeah, you know, there's marvelous ways in which the Holy Spirit takes his word and represents the Christian life afresh for following Christ. And so I offer, I want to just pass on because it blessed me so much the same. What does it mean to follow Christ? Well, do whatever he tells you to do. Obviously, this has its greatest fulfillment in our receiving of the word, the Bible. But anytime we read something that's an exhortation or an encouragement or a thing to cling to or a command, do whatever he tells you. And if it seems complicated as to how to follow the command, pray, Lord, how can I follow that? But to come with the spirit of, I want to do what you tell me to do, Lord. In that vein, I'm not just talking about the really clear exhortations of the New Testament, even the Old Testament. Um... For many years, I've been trying to figure out, and still am only on the journey, how to read the Old Testament well. And our long, long, deep study uh, in the Sunday evenings was profoundly helpful to me, the teachings of my brothers and sisters. Um, and I've had discussions with some of you over the years about, hey, yeah, like, what do we make of like, the threefold division of like, moral, civil, ceremonial? I'm like, trying to figure out the, the commands in the Old Testament, what box to put them in. Um, and I had all of that sort of threefold scheme kind of blown apart a few months ago with this one line by um, the church father, Maximus the Confessor, who just says, oh, all of the commands of the Old Testament apply spiritually because we live in the spirit. And some of them still apply literally. Like, I think about that for a second. It's really a wonderful solution to how to read the Old Testament. Yeah, don't murder. That still applies literally. Don't mix your linen and your wool. Absolutely. Spiritually. And what does that mean? Well, it takes spiritual wisdom and a cohesive reading of Scripture to figure that out. But to say they all apply spiritually, they're all for our spiritual guidance. Chiefly, we do whatever he tells us by reading the Word and doing it. That's what the Spirit speaking through St. James says is the blessed Christian life, right? Not the hearer of the Word only, but the doer of the Word. Doing what the Lord tells us to do. But additionally, by the promptings of his Holy Spirit within. I think, I, I imagine you all feel this way, as I feel. I wish God gave me more of that, more promptings of the Spirit, more sort of suggestions to the heart of things to do, more direct guidance, the way he seems to have guided the apostles, for instance, in Acts, like, go here, say this to this person, do that. I wish he did that more. But I'm a alarmed in myself at when God occasionally does that, how poorly I am at obeying it, even in really small things. And so I wonder, like, why does God not do that more? Well, maybe it's because half the time I just say, no, I, I won't do that. If we want to hear from him, we need to be offering him our hearts and our wills first and say, Lord, if you speak, give me grace to do what you say. Even in small things, like just a couple weeks ago, Two weeks ago, um, 
I was just sort of thinking about our church building stuff and stuff, and I just got a little bit panicky in my head about the future, and I was like, I know, I should look at what like commercial buildings are for sale on like Century 21 or something. And I felt clear as day, the Lord kind of whispered in my heart, don't do that. What did I do in my anxiety and a bit of fleshly panic? What are the options? What are the options? There was, for the record, there was nothing bad happening. It was just my anxiety worrying about the future. Um, but the Lord wanted to guide me. And, oh, and, and unsurprisingly, for the rest of the afternoon, I was kind of in a fog of like despondency and confusion and despair. Because the Lord was trying to save me from that by prompting, and I ignored it, him. I repent of ignoring him. I, I don't want to ignore him in the future. And he gives us those gentle inner suggestions of how to follow him. It's not always like something clearly moral, right? Like looking at things on a realty listing is not in itself immoral. The Lord just knew that wouldn't be good for me, of course, as he knew. But I didn't listen. So we receive his word and we receive his promptings of his heart, of our hearts. And we do whatever he tells us. That's how we follow Jesus. And in following him, just through time spent with him, we will become more like him, and he is constantly extending his gracious will to every last one of us on earth to be saved, right? It says that he wills that all would be saved. His Holy Spirit constantly tugging on the hearts of all human beings to repent and believe the gospel. We become like him as fishes in that way. I spent a little bit of time trying to think of like a modern analogy for like, because none of us do like hand dragnet fishing anymore. I assume nobody's done that um, for, a, for a living. Um, but I couldn't come up with any good ones. In fact, I was going to say it, but it's actually so pitiful, I'm just going to skip that bit. <laughs> <laughs> and it really came home to roost to me that Jesus chose exactly the first century AD to become incarnate. The Son of God chose to become incarnate in that century to use those things that were at hand then as these eternal metaphors for our life. <clears throat> So we didn't get stuck with a terrible anecdote about being an influencer or something. <laughs> Even in its details, fishing is a perfect metaphor. And of course it is, because God picked it and placed it in his word for us. Because for the very um, sort of circumstances of hand dragnet fishing out of the open water are suggestive of what we're called to as Christians. Going out on the water, being out in the world being interacting with people who, as the scripture describes, are children of darkness. Because there's only two kinds of people in the world, right? Those who are in Christ and following him, and those who are not, and we might add in prayer, yet. Right? Those who are not yet. Interacting with the culture of today. And to be clear, you all know me well. It is absolutely a fundamental feature of the Christian life that we regularly withdraw from the world into the, the quietness of our prayer closet, on retreats, you know, into just the life of prayer. But that, unless you're called to a literal monastic vocation, and I hope and pray that maybe one of y'all might be in the decades to come, but unless you're a literally, a literal monk or nun, Christians are not isolationists. Right? We withdraw from the world to be strengthened by God in order to then go back out into the world and engage with Him with the memory of his teachings fresh in our hearts, with the refreshment of the union we have with him through the Spirit. And just like fishers, presumably, would kind of get to know 
the Sea of Galilee where, where, you know, where, where the disciples are being called and you know, where the good bits are and what the best times of day are, to be thinking that strategically and thoughtfully about the people that we know and the things we see in culture. Like, how, where might we catch a fish in this situation? Additionally, you have to be very patient with this manner of fishing. Right? It's this recurring thing that happens as if it's really just a run-of-the-mill thing in the Gospels that you can fish all night and catch nothing. But evangelism will not always be instantly and immediately successful. There's this waiting and waiting for the fish to come into the net. Patience. The risk of being out on the water. Patience. And then also just this, the difference between water, which is dark and murky, the description of the spiritual state of the lost in intellectual darkness and in moral dampness. To be pulled out of that environment and brought into the bright light of day. And you might think, well, wait a second, is the metaphor breaking down here? Doesn't a fish die in the, in, out in the day? Absolutely it dies in the day. What else are we called to in discipleship but being united to Christ in his death that our flesh should be crucified with him? There is a death involved in following Christ and becoming a fish, a little fish. I think it's Tertullian who speaks about that, that in baptismal water, we are, the little, we are little fishes born out of the baptismal water. That's inverting the metaphor. I regret saying that. Um, but the points, all the details of the fishing apply to the picture of someone coming out of dark spiritual darkness into spiritual light. <clears throat> And it's actually one of the chief ways we show love to neighbor, right? We hear the great commandment every Sunday, love God, love your neighbor. It is a gift for someone to know about Christ, whether it's the first time they hear about him, whether it's a way they see more the reality of who he is through your lived life as a Christian, to sort of allow the light that is in you, this is the theme of epiphany, right? To allow the light that's in you to be seen by a non-Christian, you're giving them a gift. This is what it looks like to follow Christ to live in the light, to be shaped by him. So fishing is a wonderful picture of what it means to share the knowledge of Christ with others. Knowledge that comes first and foremost by following him ourselves. Amen.